The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everybody. If you grow fruit trees and vegetables, you probably spend at least some time stressing about unwelcome visitors to your garden, like raccoons, deer, and even squirrels. Those guys can be really frustrating. Sometimes I'll go into the garden and I'll see that a squirrel has torn one of my ripe homegrown tomatoes right off the plant. They nibble it a bit and then they just leave the mess behind just to torment me. And raccoons, they love using the top of my compost bin as their own personal toilet. It's pretty disgusting. And I'm currently plotting out ways that I can fight back against those rascals. Now, there are other animals, though, that may be a welcome addition to your garden. Animals that can actually help maintain and protect the space and even help fruit tree growth. Some of these are farm animals and some are animals that you might even be able to accommodate in your city garden. Now, my guest, my guest today was supposed to be Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms in Virginia, I still hope he will join us soon at some point in the show. Um, Joel isn't answering his phone, so perhaps there was a farm emergency. So Joel is uh, a very interesting person, and he was featured on the documentary Food, Inc., and in Michael Pollan's excellent book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. He's written lots of great books on uh, organic farming and the organic farming business. So... I did a really nice pre-interview with Joel to figure out what we would talk about today. So I have some good information for you. And as well, I do hope he will come on the line. But here is what I love would love from you today, listeners. Can you please send in your stories and your experiences with animals in the garden? Good ones, bad ones, helpful ones, your pets in the garden. And we will talk about that today. Okay, and also I have assisting me today is Gary in the studio. Say hi, Gary. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so Gary's family, you guys are great gardeners. Yes, we try to be. You try yeah, to be. We try to be. So tell me something. You may not have a fruit tree, but do you have animals in your garden? Consistently. We fight off uh, the squirrels. We have rabbits. We have chipmunks. And uh, that's once in a while we get the occasional skunk. That's true. And also raccoons. Ah, the raccoons. The raccoons. The raccoons. And the raccoons can be, as you know, as a lot of listeners know, raccoons, you know, you look at them and you say, oh, they're so cute and they have their mask on and everything. But they can be very dangerous, very nasty, you know. And if you try to approach one, and usually they're, they're nocturnal, they come out at night. You know, they can be very dangerous and hurt you if they're going after your fruit or your vegetables. So you got to be very careful about that when you're dealing with raccoons, if you see them in your garden. Well, the raccoons really love my garden because the lady who lived in my garden or lived in my house before we did was an elderly lady who hand fed the raccoons. Oh, no. She thought no. they were cute. Yeah. She was a great gardener and she hand fed them. And that's quite 
quite dangerous. So everybody, if you want to email us, please do email in your questions, your stories about animals in the garden or about any other fruit tree questions, because some of you may have questions you want to ask me. This is your opportunity. Instudio101 at gmail.com. Instudio101 at gmail.com. And we're talking about fruit trees, food forests, animals in our garden. So let me talk here about we there was some conversation online um, as well. Did you know, Gary, mm-hmm. that bunny rabbits, mm-hmm. which are usually usually quite a scourge in, in the orchard. So yes. bunny rabbits, what they do is they eat around the bark of the tree. On their little bunny rabbit That's level. That's correct. Yes, they do. And that is not good for the tree. Of and course. it can actually kill the tree because there's living tissue under the bark. And if the tree can't get its nutrition from that living from the root system, so if the, the all the nutrition that's stored in the root system can't go up into the tree, then the tree will die. What about you see this occasionally bark wrap? You see like a wrap on that. Is that something that would help that or prevent it? Yes, it is. It is. And they're made out of plastic. And these are plastic uh, trunk protectors. Mm -hmm. They're various different ones. So those are fantastic in the winter. And you put them on your tree in the winter, especially your young fruit tree. It will protect the tree from anything like, you know, anything that nibbles the bark. But here is the warning. Okay. Something that people don't consider, including myself, is sometimes you forget to take those wrappers off Uh. in the springtime. So what happens is underneath that plastic is a perfect place for pests to hide and to multiply and be fruitful. And so actually a couple of weeks ago in the garden, um, in our orchard, we noticed that one of the trees, while we were painting our trees white, as we do to protect them, uh, one of the trees had its its plastic uh, protector on. And we took the protector off and we saw all sorts of caterpillars for gypsy moth. And they were Ooh. having so much fun under there until their end came. We had to stomp on them. So now, but you're talking about the actual plastic wrap, right? Yes. What about the wrap that's more of a cloth, almost like an ace, ace bandage? You know when you see people wrap, like a, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there is a, a wrap that you buy, it's in a roll, and you can wrap the bottom of that up, you know, maybe six inches a foot, however you wrap it, and it's right. actually a cloth. Right. Now, if people use that... Is that does that also have to be removed in the spring or the summer? It does because what you're trying to avoid is moisture coming up to the trunk of the tree. So when you have moisture um, and and you're holding a nice warm cozy area, again the pests will love it. They'll crawl in there. It's protected. They will again be fruitful and multiply, and then they'll be all over your trees like the gypsy moth would have been if we had not caught them and stomped on them. And and right now we've been, we were in the park harvesting last night, our cherries, and I didn't see any sign of gypsy moth. Good. So we managed to, to wipe them out. So any kind of uh, protector like that, you want, it's like our skin, like you want your skin to breathe. Okay. Like you don't want to be wearing your uh, lycra, as I know you do, mm-hmm. your lycra tight outfits, Gary wears Lycra all the time, right? (laughs) It's my favorite. Yeah, it's your favorite. So you don't want to be wearing that all the time because your skin won't be able to breathe. Breathe, correct. Right? So it's the same thing with your fruit tree. They're fantastic in the winter, these protectors. Um, What's the time frame to put these on our trees and to take them off approximately? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, We put them on sort of here in Ontario, like in October when we're wrapping up, let's say September, October, when we are putting the orchard to bed. Mm -hmm. We will put the wrappers on and then uh, we take them off uh, in the spring. Let me just think. Um, Yeah, before it starts to get rainy and wet. Okay. Now, the protectors that you're referring to, are they only for fruit trees or could they be for trees in general? Oh, yeah. They can be for all young trees. All young trees. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome for that. Once a tree is matured, that's not necessary anymore? Once a tree has matured, what we do is we paint the trunks of the trees. Has anybody, I'm just wondering if any of the listeners have actually ever done this. Do you ever paint your fruit tree's trunk (laughs) white? I'm going to go, I just got a really cute email from Hannah. I don't know where you're from, Hannah. (laughs) Hannah says, rabbits are the worst 
Yes, they yeah. can be. They can be. Um, so is this a special paint? You know what? You use latex paint, okay. house paint, basically, okay. um, water based, of course, mm-hmm. and you dilute it. Fifty percent white latex paint and okay. you dilute it with 50 percent water and Perfect. you paint the trunks of your trees so that does two things and how far up could you, should you, you go right up at least with fruit trees to the lowest branches in the canopy and hopefully you're pruning your fruit tree properly so you know how to structure it but the lowest branches that could be pretty tall y- yeah right? it can be pretty tall but fruit trees we prune them properly to keep mm-hmm. them compact so i would say you know you're going to be four like three four feet up okay. at the most yeah, maybe three. Interesting. Feet. And any latex paint will work, but and, you, and it's got to be white, though. You're it's got to be white. So it does two things. A, amazingly, it protects your tree trunk from sunburn. Okay. Tree trunks get sunburn, and when that happens, they crack, and then there's an opening for pests and disease. So that's one thing that happens. And what's the other thing that happens? It also protects your tree from crawling insects crawling up the tree. They don't like the paint. They don't like it slippery for them. And their Uh little crawling insect bug eyes don't like white. So they're like, oh, my God, I forgot my little bug sunglasses, right? (laughs) Like if they don't have little bug sunglasses, they're not going to crawl up the little bug tree. Uh, By the way, for those of you who don't have my book, my book, Growing Urban Orchards, will tell you all about this and other tricks and techniques with your fruit trees, young and old. And, And if I may, just again, because... There's a lot of people, I'm sure, that are listening that do not paint their trunks of their fruit trees, maybe because they didn't know about it okay. or the procedure or how to do it. But again, I'm, I'm very curious about that. So when you, when you paint your tree, do you do just one coat or do you put a couple of coats on? Do you have to really dab it in? What, what happens? That's a really good question. So do it on a sunny day in the summer, you know, when it's sunny, whatever, and dry and just one coat is fine. Just paint it white. So because you know what, Gary, when we when we saw those caterpillars, the gypsy moth caterpillars, what I noticed is we hadn't painted our the trunks of our trees for a few years. Mm-hmm. And where were the caterpillars? They were stuck to the, the plastic wrapper, uh, the tree protector, but they were also in the cracks where there was no white paint. Ah. So, you know, okay. they thought their little caterpillar eyes, if caterpillars have eyes, I don't know. But, you know, they thought this is a more comfortable, less slippery mm-hmm. place to be. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about rabbits. Now, I don't know. I'm not a rabbit. And Hannah, maybe I know you know rabbits very well because you wrote me an email here. I'm not a rabbit, but I would think chewing on paint-covered tree trunk might not taste good. No, I would think not. I don't know. Have you ever, Gary, no. chewed on a painted you know, tree trunk? But no, I have not. Who knows not what I... Not recently, at least. No, not recently. Yeah, but it yeah. makes sense, right? Right. And, and we want to stress that the white is the color. Don't think you have some latex paint laying around from painting your bedroom. Don't do rainbow. You know, yeah, they don't it's, like... It's not going to work as good. And do not use anything oil-based. No yeah, oil-based paint. Right, right. And do not use bathroom paint, which has horrible chemicals in yeah, it, which could be very bad. Oh, my God. Don't use that. Now, I just want to, this show is about the good side of animals in your orchard. So let us take a moment mm-hmm. and talk about how you can use rabbits in a positive way. Gary, do you remember the Flintstones? I do. Folks listening, do you remember the Flintstones? And do you remember that um, Fred had a car? Yep. And how did he move around in his, his car? His feet. He his had to start it with his feet. Okay. So there are special boxes that um, we were going to learn about today, but um, that you can put your bunny, your personal bunny, in a box, and that little guy or girl will run around and move the box around, and it will mow your grass Get and eat your weeds here. for you, because that's what bunnies do. They eat grass. They eat weeds. They eat all sorts of stuff, right? So it is like a little bunny tractor. And, oh, I wonder if we got a call here. Somebody's coming downstairs. But anyways, it's a bunny tractor. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, the bunny will offer really useful services to you. Oh, this is exciting. I think Joel may be coming on the line. We're trying to get a hold of Joel, and he may be calling in, but he has not as of yet. So we'll just stand by here. Okay, we're going to stand by. Hopefully, Joel has our number. That's wonderful. So, and he can far more intelligently discuss bunny boxes. But yes, so bunnies can be harnessed to be useful. And these boxes you're talking about, are they made by. 
a gardener or are they made available commercially like you can buy them? You know what? That's a really good question. And if Joel calls in, we'll ask him that. I know that there are people that do build them themselves. Okay. Um, but yeah, why not? So I just love this idea that the bunny gets to go where he or she wants, but the box will prevent him or her from nibbling okay. on the trunk of the tree because it can't get that close. It's got a box around it. Okay. So yeah, you know, that makes sense, but you would, the so the bunny would go in this box because they're attracted, maybe because there's food in the box? No, because the food is down. It's the grass. So okay. this box has sides and a top, but it has no bottom. So okay. your bunny is lounging around. Okay. I think you guys need to buy a bunny. <laughs> no. Honestly, You know, my daughter time, Rebecca yeah. consistently says she wants a bunny, but uh, I don't know. You know, honestly, Gary, oh, think of all the hours you spend mowing the grass. Yeah. Wouldn't you like fluffy to do that for you either that or a goat i guess yeah <laughs> well we can talk about goats too uh, hopefully we can talk about goats because they are actually could be very useful in your orchard for for reasons such as that so the downside of bunnies uh in a box is they don't actually eat insect pests and some animals do so fluffy the bunny won't won't help you in that way and and there are you know as i say where i live uh especially and i'm sure you as well we see rabbits consistently in our yard and they are nibbling at stuff and they are eating things. So, you know, you talk about perhaps weed control, that may be a good thing, right? Absolutely. They, But the problem is you just want to keep them out of your hosta bed That's or right. whatever. Do you know right. what I mean? Of course. So you really have to figure out where you're putting these bunnies. Really, it's about grass and weeds, I would think. Not that I, you know, this is not something I have personal experience with. Hopefully, Joel will come on the line and tell us more. So, again, for those of you who are listening, I'd love to hear from you. What is your experience with animals in your orchard? Why don't you send us an email in studio 101 at gmail.com and we will uh, read your message. Hey, you can even call in. Here's the telephone number. The telephone number is wherever you are in North America, one 866 905-7325-1-866-905-7325. If you are knowledgeable about this topic or anything about fruit trees you want to share, why don't you call us? Because uh, we'd love to hear from you and we're waiting for our guests to appear. So let's go to some commercials. What do you okay, think, Okay, sure thing. Okay, so you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101 where we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and I'm the author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we'll be back after this short break. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to EarthAliveCT.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. Looking for a quick, easy to apply and all natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer, and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children, and pets. 
You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-sol.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer. If you want your fruit trees to live a long and healthy and productive life, it's essential that you water them properly when they're young. You need to water slowly and deeply so the moisture seeps into your young tree's expanding root system. That sounds easy enough, but you'd be surprised at how often the water you provide for your trees just rolls away, leaving its young roots high and dry. That's why we at TreePans.com have worked with orchards to develop a product that ensures all the water gets to your tree's root system. Our expandable tree pans funnel rain or irrigation water to the drip line of your young trees. Additionally, tree pans eliminate weed growth under the tree canopy, as well as protect your trees from mowers, tractors, and weed whips. Tree pans are used in orchards, city parks, and in residential yards. And once your young tree is established, you can move your tree pans to another young tree. Learn more about tree pans at treepans.com. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi there, I'm Susan Poisner, and this is the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. In this live radio show and podcast, we talk about the nicer things in life, like fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. Thanks so much for tuning in. So today on the show, we're talking about animals in your garden or orchard. And we are complaining a little bit about animal pests, but we're also talking about the animals that can help us with our orchard work. Now, hopefully, our our guest today, Joel Salatin, is going to call us soon. He's uh, from Polyfaced Farms in Virginia. And um, yeah, we hope he's going to call in soon. Somehow there must have been a farm emergency, so he wasn't uh, on his line. But in the meantime, I would love to hear from you. Do you have issues or problems or questions about having animals near your fruit trees? So you can email us at instudio101 at gmail.com and tell us your story or even just say hi, because we're lonely here in the studio, aren't we, Gary? Well, I'm never lonely with you, Susan. That's number one. (laughs) But yes, by all means, if you'd like to write in, our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And even though we're talking about animals in the garden today, I'm sure Susan would be very happy if you had a question about your fruit trees, any generic question even. I'm sure she's ready to help you uh, answer that question as well. So if you're listening and you have a question, please feel free to write in in studio101 at gmail.com. Okay, so I actually have a message here from Serena in Tennessee. Okay, so this is what Serena writes. I raise, use both sheep and rabbits. But I primarily keep the rabbits around the garden and alleyways where I've planted fruit trees because I can scoot their tractor right up next to the trunk of the tree and let them mow or weed around it. Whereas if I put the sheep's electro net too close to a tree, I often have sneaky lambs who stick their head right through the squares of the fencing to defoliate my trees. The rabbits also require much more attention as far as filling water bottles, moving them two to three times a day, refilling the feeder, etc. The other nice thing about rabbits and tractors is that they mow the grass really short, which I want around the edge of the garden to discourage voles. Our garden and fruit is just for family consumption. I do sell pasteurized meat, so I don't worry about the laws around manure. So that's really interesting. So, you know, Gary, historically, I I don't know how well you know the Bible, 
Guys, how I don't know how well you folks know the Bible. I, I know it pretty well. You know it pretty well. So shepherds and orchards, anything in the Bible about that? Yes, there are. There is actually. Yeah. So, so what do you know? Well, I I got to think back, but <laughs> a lot of it there's some in the Old Testament and some in the New Testament. Uh, you mean shepherds watching their flock? Yeah, uh, or, like I, that kind know. of thing. Yeah. I well, I I, I don't know. I've I put I, you I on do the know, spot, haven't yeah, I? No, because I'd have to think of verses in books and all that stuff. Yeah, but, exactly. Verses, yeah. Book. but the point is that this has happened for a long, long time. So when I was doing my pre-interview with Joel. And we were chatting. He loves, obviously, having uh, sheep in his orchard. He's got a small orchard. And he says the difference between having sheep in your orchard and cows in your orchard is huge. Because cows are so big and heavy that they will crush the root systems of your fruit trees. So, for instance, yesterday I went to our orchard park and I noticed that there's a construction crew that drove one of their little trucks right into the park and planted right beside, parked it, right beside one of our fruit trees. And so these fruit trees are young and even older trees. When you put something heavy on the roots of your tree, you will kill those roots. There's no question about it. Really? Yeah. So then the other roots on the other side of the tree will have to compensate. Heavy stuff around the roots of your fruit trees or any other trees is a bad idea. You know, and it's funny you say that because there's a lot of times in a lot of municipalities that I go around when I'm driving or visiting or on business, and I see a lot of these new trees, these plantings and things, and these people always have equipment parked right now, bull, you know, back holes, bulldozers, heavy bricks, this, that, you know, the whole thing. And you just got to wonder about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I think people, when they see trees in general, they they kind of think in terms of this is decoration. They don't think that this is actually a living thing. And, you know, that's very sad, um, especially when it comes to fruit trees. It's this concept of, they they're beautiful they give us shade they feed us they give us food and let's just leave them alone and not care for them but actually they're living things and and yeah, you know absolutely it's, it's, they do need hands-on care well joe is on the <gasps> line so oh, how exciting. hello joe are you there hi yes i'm here hi, all right joe. sir you're live on the air with susan poisner in the urban forestry radio show the, can yes. you can you hear us okay yeah i can hear you fine okay sir Okay, well, Joel, we're on air, and we've been talking about animals in the orchard, uh, Gary and I, and we had a comment or two on the show as well. So just to remind everybody, our guest today on the show is Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms in Virginia. So, Joel, tell me something. We were talking, in the first part, we talked a bit about bunnies in the orchard and rabbits, and you had told me about these rabbit tractors. Can you tell me, do people build them themselves, or do you go and buy them somewhere in the market? <laughs> uh, well, this is still such a small subset. Uh, you, don't, you don't buy these. Uh, we, we build them, and uh, they're out of wood, and uh, essentially about three feet wide, six feet long, very, very light, built out of little almost uh, lath material, you know, just... Uh, two-by-two two type stuff. The floor is, um, is one is half-inch by one-inch lath pieces, and that keeps the rabbits from digging out. Uh, the problem with, with rabbits, as opposed to chickens, is that they dig, and if they do get out, you know, a chicken you can just kind of run down, but a rabbit, if they get out, <laughs> they're, they're a lot quicker than you are, and you'll probably never catch them, except with a 22 or something. So, um, so, so these little these little sh uh, shelters are are small. Uh, the the slats, this lathed floor, uh, allows them to access about uh, seventy percent of the grass, and um, and so they you know they will eat a tremendous amount of uh, of forage. So basically, they're free to move around. Is it like Fred Flintstone, where their little feet can push them forward, and they, you know, you actually see them moving alone, or do you have to move the boxes for them? Oh once no, we, we we move the box, we we move the shelter, but the but it's so light. I mean, the whole shelter only weighs, I don't know, I'm going to say uh, twenty pounds, maybe twenty five pounds. So even a you know even a, a six or seven year old child can move them. They're they're very very light. In these kinds of systems, it's much better to make 
to make small modules and repetitive modules than make large modules uh, where you try to get a lot more animals in one thing. It's much better to have small modules uh, so you get, get a little more flexibility. Now, what about um, water? Like, is there is it like a, a little cage where you would have their little water bottles so they can drink when they need to drink? I guess they certainly don't need snacks because the grass is their snack. Uh, well, they have a, they have a feeder. Uh, you know, like I say, they will pick up seventy percent, seventy five percent of their diet on the grass, but uh, they do they do need some concentrate. And so we have a feeder on the edge as, as well as a waterer. We have a little uh, bucket sitting on top that just gravity feeds down to a nipple. And, uh, and so they can access the nipple and the water buckets on top. Okay, so if there's a water bucket on top, it means you don't have to come back every hour and refill it. That's right. That's right. Oh, they can go, uh, they can go a couple days. Mm-hmm. Do you have a design for this in one of your books, or do you find a design for it online? It's probably online. I I don't know. Um, I, I don't know uh, where where it is specifically. Um, oh, you told I mean, me you're not a big online guy, so <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. But I I am confident that there are pictures of it. I'm sure on YouTube on seminars we've done. People who visited. Uh, I mean, I have pictures of it when I do my PowerPoint presentations, when I uh, speak at, at, at do uh, lectures. And you things, know what? But. Well, here, here's what's great. And, and actually, sorry, we just got an email from Ron who asked the same question. Ron, great minds think alike. He says, what are these rabbit boxes called and are there plans online to build it? Thanks. So what are the boxes called? Are they just called rabbit boxes? <laughs> uh, we call them hairpins. Oh, hairpins. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, so maybe, um, you guys, if you do email me a picture, I can put it on our Facebook page or uh, on the website so people who, you know, listen to the podcast after they can have a look at what these hairpins look like. So that'll be fun. Now, moving on from rabbits, I mean, chickens. Here in Toronto, we can now have chickens in certain parts of Toronto. We're allowed to to have chickens in our backyards for eggs and stuff. So are they useful in your, you know, around your fruit tree? Well, yes, they are. I mean, the, the beauty of chickens is that they're the most aggressive uh, scratchers and peckers, you know. Um, but that's also their downfall because if you have your trees nicely mulched, that sort of thing, they will scratch every bit of that mulch out searching for worms and bugs and things like that. So... It's a it's a kind of catch twenty two situation. We like to we like to put uh, like a, a a raised bed border, you know, um, boards or something around our fruit trees with mulch, uh, and that helps to keep the chickens from being able to scratch stuff out. Gives you a little bit of a you know a a, a, a wall there, a fence. Yeah, you know, even if it's only even if it's only eight inches or twelve inches high, it's, it at least gives you a little bit of protection there. Um, but but as far as actually um, aggressively removing drop fruit, which of course is where most of your, you know, uh, uh, pathogens and things live, um, and and actually aggressively working at, you know, debugging uh, the orchard, uh, nothing beats chickens. You just have to realize that they can be problematic if uh, if they get if they uh, scratch too heavy around the trees. It's one of the beauties of things like ducks and even turkeys, for that matter. Um, ducks and turkeys don't scratch as aggressively, and so they they um, don't have that problem. Aha. So here's the difference. The difference between the rabbits and your and your poultry is rabbits are cute and they eat the greens, but they don't eat the bugs. And when you get your yes. chickens and your turkey, they'll eat the bugs, they'll eat the fallen fruit, which, like you say, has pathogens, has insects inside it. They'll gobble up all our potential problems. That's <laughs> That sounds wonderful. That sounds so good. I've got an email from Tom. I don't know where Tom's from, but Tom says, do these boxes work for other animals? So we had been discussing your hairpin, so you don't have to put chickens in a chicken pen, do you, when they're out in the orchard? 
No, that, that's a that's a great question. Uh, yeah, these these uh, little movable um, cages or shelters, if you will, we, we like to call them shelters because that's more uh, politically correct. If you call them cages or pens, then people think they sound like prisons and penitentiaries. So so we're thinking, you know, control and protection. So shelter works better. Um, but yeah, they're, they're you know they're two feet high, very small. You could certainly put a couple of chickens in one. Uh, as well as you know, a litter of rabbits, uh, that would certainly be fine. You could put you know a couple of ducks in one. Um, the, the beauty of the portable shelter is that it gives you protection and control uh, because when you're with animals, you know they need to be moved around. If you if you have a a, a, a twelve tree orchard, for example, um, and you just fence that for chickens and turn chickens into it, and they get access to it every day, uh, pretty soon they're going to wear a dirt spot, a dirt path. It's going to be worn down. But if you put them in a shelter and move them around so that, so that there's rest and rest and impaction, rest and impaction, then you can put the same number of chickens, but you're going to have a much healthier uh, you know, cover and, and ecosystem by moving those animals around. Now, there's one benefit that we haven't really discussed yet, and that's uh, manure, their poop, basically. Um, you know, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, look, if I'm mulching my fruit trees with like sheep manure or whatever, I would never, never, never use uncomposted manure. It would burn, I'm a, you know, it would burn the roots of my fruit trees. So it's just too strong so but these animals are are eating and i guess pooping in their boxes so is there any concern about having this sort of raw uncomposted manure around the trees well i would simply ask anybody do you have any birds in your orchard do you have any rabbits in your orchard do you have any trees in your orchard uh, most people who have a an orchard see wild animals come through all the time. The reason that those wild animals are not the kind of problem that you would see uh, from domestic livestock is twofold. One, one reason is that they're, manure, that, that they're not in confinement, so they're not getting, they don't have the, the high pathogenicity that, uh, you know, that, that confinement-raised livestock has. Uh, and, and the second thing is, that because they're at low um, at low levels, the ecosystem can metabolize it. We interestingly, we had a, a University of North Carolina UNC veterinary uh, student come up and do a study on um, on salmonella in our fields, where we've had you know intensive commercial poultry for 50 years. And she picked another farm nearby that hadn't had a chicken on it in 50 years, and wanted to study the difference in the in the uh, the salmonella, the latent salmonella in the in the soil uh, strata. And uh, the interesting thing, and, and actually very surprising for us, was we had no more than the one that hadn't had chickens on it in 50 years. And the reason is because. We're moving, we're moving them around all the time. So, for example, the uh, the broilers, the meat chickens, only get a a square a square foot or a square yard one day a year. So it's one day on and a year of rest, and that's what these modular shelters allow you to do, and that that recreates the kind of movement and in and out uh, template that we see with the wild animals. That makes so much sense because also when I am mulching my trees with manure, I'm literally putting it on like an inch thick. So it is, and it is right above the roots of the tree. Whereas when these, you know, rabbits or other animals are moving around in different places, they may be further from the tree. I mean, the, the nutrients will come with the rain and stuff like that. But like, like you say, this is not just intensive spreading a layer of poop all over your orchard. It's interesting, right. Joel. Actually, we have I have listeners um, from all over the world, and and interestingly, we have a listener in India, Satish. And so Satish wrote an email. I don't know if you will be able to answer it, but let's see what he says. He says, "My uncle set up a chicken coop in the orchards and started with some chickens. 
The chickens are doing okay, but he is concerned that they are attracting snakes. Can you ask Joel about snakes and ideas on handling snakes, specifically in the tropics? That would be great. Well, I know you don't live in the tropics, but uh, do you have any experience with snakes at all where you live? Well, yeah, we certainly do have snakes. Uh, I guess my I, it's not clear to me, are the snakes are the snakes eating the chickens or I guess... the snakes eating the eggs the chickens lay? Oh, I see. Uh, I, I, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big difference there. I mean, a snake that will eat a chicken, if it's a full-grown chicken, I mean, and, of course, the chicken then, then, then there's always the question of, well, are these, are these little chicks or are, are these full-grown chickens? A snake that will eat a full-grown chicken, that's a pretty big snake. Um, uh, we certainly have a lot of snakes here, but we don't have anything more than about you know seven feet long, the black snakes and things, and they would never eat a chicken. They would eat a chick, and they would eat an egg. But what we have found is, again, um, that by by moving the animals around, it keeps the it keeps predators, which which snakes are one, uh, a little bit off balance because the animals are moved around. Another thing is that we keep the grass relatively short. Now, of course, we have cows and sheep and things, so we can graze. Uh, of course, you can mow as well, but we can graze ahead of the chickens or around the chickens so that we don't have real, real tall grass where, uh, where uh, uh, predators like that can slither in. Predators love, you know, cover. They, they don't want to get out and expose themselves. And so uh, short grass in the in the the direct vicinity there um, can be a, a a real help. That sounds very interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, we have another email here from Amanda. Okay, so Amanda is from the Giving Grove. Now, where is that? I can't remember where that is. Somewhere in the states. Anyways, Amanda asks, um, how how rodent predator proof are the rabbit chicken tractors? Are they a feasible option for urban orchards where stray dogs can be a common occurrence? Thank you, Amanda. I'm also thinking in terms of raccoons here as well. Like, yeah, couldn't a, a dog or raccoon knock these things over and, uh, you know, say, hey, this is lunch? Yeah. Well, again, this is, uh, this is how well they're built. Uh, and so we have never – got two things to say. One is um, – while these shelters are extremely light, uh, you know, they do require some maintenance. Uh, if the, if the uh, wire on the edge, uh, we use one-inch poultry netting, uh, if that gets you know, rusty and, and um, brittle so it's easy to break or crack or, 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 or uh, gets old and rusty, then, of course, it needs to be replaced. And so, you know, this is not a once and forever deal. It's a, you know, these these shelters, these shelters that we build will pretty much last maintenance free for, oh, maybe four years, and then you have to replace the wire or something like that. So they are, you know, but but, but they don't they don't cost anything. You know, they're just they're just little little scrap pieces of wood, you know, and, and some and some netting and a little piece of roofing hmm. on top. So it, it's not like there's there's much money in them. It sounds like a great experiment. Uh, secondly, I would say on the rabbits, one of the beauties of rabbits, as opposed to any kind of poultry, except maybe waterfowl, um, one of the beauties of rabbits is that they are nocturnal. So the rabbits are also active at the same time the predators are active. Most predators are, are active at, at night. And so uh, whereas a chicken... A chicken will just, you know, go to a roost and get pretty stationary and, and immobile uh, when when all these things are going bump in the night. The rabbits are also going bump in the night, and so when something comes around, they respond. They go to the other side of the shelter. Uh, they squeal. They, you know, they're active. Uh, they try to get away. You know, uh, they don't just sit there and get eaten or, <laughs> or bit. And so the rabbits. Uh, have have just because of their their nocturnality, they have a, a built-in kind of a predator uh, deterrence just because of their 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 nighttime activity. Interesting. Well, actually, can you hold on the line for just a couple of minutes? We, I'd love to play a few words from our sponsors, and then we'll be back. We got some more stuff we can talk about after the break. So, are you okay, Joel, holding on the line? 
Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, everybody, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and we will be back after this short break. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, Stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all, but start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware, have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at Home Hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To get on board, send Susan an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, creator of the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com, and the author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In this show, we talk about fruit tree, food forest, permaculture, and arboriculture. And my guest on the show today is Joel Salatin, and we're talking about animals in your orchard. Now, in the first part of the show, we spoke about rabbits, we've spoken about chickens and turkey and all sorts of other animals that can provide services in edible landscapes. But of course, some animals are good and some are not so good. <laughs> so Joel, I wanted to ask you, do you ever have any animals visiting your orchard that do more harm than good that you don't really want there? Well, certainly the the <laughs> deer deer are the number one uh number one problem, especially for young. I mean, they're not so bad once trees get big, but boy, until trees are uh you know, 7 or 8 feet tall, uh Deer are, are certainly number one, and dogs can certainly help. Of course, a lot of people fence orchards. There are electric fence borders that work quite well. As far as domestic stock, um, I would I would not want to put a pig in an orchard uh, because pigs can uh, do a lot of damage to tree roots and, and even uh, nip nip at bark. Most of the time, I mean, uh, historically, the favorite animal in an orchard was a was a sheep. They mowed them, 
but even sheep or horses or cows, if they're mineral deficient, they can crib the trunk. And cribbing, cribbing is uh, when an animal um, uh, nibbles, or, you know, takes their teeth and and nibbles away at the bark. And uh, on any kind of domestic stock, that can usually be eliminated simply with a good mineral program. And so, so if if you if you're trying to put animals in your orchard, and they're cribbing, um, just you know, put put some more money in good minerals, and that'll probably stop. And that would stop. Also, the other problem that we have here in the city are smaller animals like so, like squirrels. So I've got an email here from Bob in Guelph. So Bob starts off by saying, any tips for saving my pears and nectarines from the squirrels? He writes a little bit more later. He says, I've been encouraging people to grow their own fruit trees through my involvement in the Guelph Community Orchard Project. I would like to be able to offer some solutions about the pesky squirrels who watch us all care for our trees so that they can come and eat the fruit before we do. I have tried plastic owl, dangling pie plates, plant skid, which is the anti-deer spray, I think, with mixed results, mostly futile, he says. This year, I'm trying freezer bags over single fruit or clear garbage bag over the end of each branch, I guess, for smaller fruits, if there is multiple fruit in one area. So some of the fruits, he said, have just dropped off. Some are hanging on and getting bigger. He says, I also have a chicken wired. I also have chicken wired the end of one branch. Lots of experiments. As you know, any solution has to be simple so that it's relatively easy for the hobbyist amateur enthusiast to implement. I mean, my comment for Bob is orchard socks. Uh, You know, they do deter insects. And I find that squirrels, when you put these little sockets um, over the growing baby fruit, um, it does prevent squirrels, like the squirrels take a bite and they're like, ew, this tastes like pantyhose, and they are discouraged, you know, temporarily. So orchard socks are also called maggot barriers. They're nylon little sockets you put on your fruit. But Joel, what what would you suggest? Is there anything that you can suggest here for Bob? Well, my great suggestion is squirrel stew. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Do you and, actually? And, uh, yeah. you know, of course, in an urban setting, it gets a little problematic sometimes to go out and start shooting them. Or in Canada, where it's hard to get get a gun, you can get one pretty easily here in the U.S. But you know, you, you can you can trap. Uh, there are certainly uh, certainly traps you can get, and then you can kill them and eat them for dinner. I mean, squirrels. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, it, it, it's funny, but I'm I'm serious that that. All of this kind of wildlife stuff, um, I mean, we've certainly dealt with it a lot with pastured poultry. And, um, and all of us are in a context, and the, the, the truth is that in some of these urban situations, we simply have a, uh, an overabundance of, of certain things, whether it's deer or squirrels or, or whatever. And, uh, and in the wild, those things would be handled with coyotes, foxes, wolves, whatever, you know, uh, carnivorous uh, predators. And, but we don't have those as much in the city. And so, uh, so we, ha- we have to be that carnivorous predator. Uh, so trapping, uh, certainly, you know, certainly a, a very aggressive cat sometimes, a house cat. And we've certainly had cats catch squirrels. Uh, cat, cats will catch rabbits as well. Um, and I mean, I, that, that drives the wildlife people crazy, you know. These, but I'm not talking about feral cats. I'm talking about uh, your own cat. We have cats here that keep the rats and mice down, and sometimes they'll bring in a you know small rabbit or a squirrel. Um, I, I don't know how good a dog would be, but I can imagine that a dog could be you know trained. Although when the squirrel runs up the tree, the squirrel's out of the reach of the dog, and the squirrel's going to learn pretty quickly that they're not out of the reach. You know, not uh, vulnerable anymore, so they just go on about their business. Um, so you know, those are just some. But but my uh, my main thing is whether you use a, a gun, a trap, a a uh, a an air you know an, an air pellet right uh, pellet gun, a uh, you know a crossbow. 
Oh my goodness, you guys. Yeah. In the country. Um, yeah, you totally get it. But I have to know, does squirrel stew actually taste any good? Is it okay? Or does oh, it need yeah, a lot of wonderful. spices? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the old, the old uh, Brunswick stew, you know, the, the hunter's Brunswick stew had, what it was, it five, you know, five different meats, uh, you know, a, a bird, a rabbit, a squirrel, a venison, I don't know what all, uh, a turkey, anyway, I think it was five different kinds of meats, but, you know, it was the official Brunswick stew, so, yeah, no, squirrel is, um, squirrel is wonderful to eat, and, and the thing is, as soon, as soon as you bring that population down into its normal, normal uh, uh, thing, uh, population amount density, then you know a lot of those a lot of those things will ease off. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think that's our problem in the city is just we don't have that ecological balance, and I think right. that the more that you know people plant fruit trees or plant native trees and attract wildlife and and you know bring the insect population into a healthy balance with more beneficials then the more you know the more healthier our planet will be the more healthier you know the healthier our cities will be so i think what you're saying is is logical um and uh yeah it makes a lot of sense so we have something here in the cities to aspire to that's for sure so um i can't believe it joel our show is coming to an end and I so appreciate that you managed. I don't know what happened, but I'm so thrilled that you managed to get on the show so we could chat with you a little bit. Yes, thank you. Uh, no, I, I apologize. I, I was here, but uh, that, that when he didn't call back, I couldn't get the phone number. And so I was just kind of stymied as to how to proceed. But oh, anyway, goodness. I'm glad we made connection. We made a connection, and I so appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms in Virginia. Where can people learn a little bit more about you? Do you guys have a website? And We do. It was, it's Polyface, P-O-L-Y-F-A-C-E, Polyface Farms, okay. all lowercase, polyfacefarms.com. Uh, okay, perfect. So people can go check it out. You've got talks. You've got videos on there. And hopefully let's make sure you've got some really good things about these little um, animal shelters that are movable because I think it's a great idea. They're they're on there. That's fantastic. Well, everybody, that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Thank you so much to Joel. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon. And I hope all you listeners enjoyed the show. If you like it, there's lots more information on my website at orchardpeople.com. You can also check out my blog where there's articles about fruit tree care. You can find out about my book, Growing Urban Orchards, and you can learn lots more. So come back again next month. We're going to have more great information. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com, and thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next month. Listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com/podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month, and each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. 
right here on Reality Radio 101.